Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. My name is Richard Svarsson. Listeners, if you are wondering what to make of the latest news coming out of Germany or what's happening with Brexit in terms of what it means for the carbon market, then you've come to the right place. Because today in a carbon special, I'm joined by Tom Lord of Redshore Advisors. Welcome to you, Tom. Thank you, Richard. And my old pal, Alessandro Vitelli, who's been covering these markets since the 1890s. Isn't that right? Greetings. Yes, uh, 1880s. Perfect. So a warm welcome to you both. Now, I hope 2020 uh, has been uh, good to you so far, Tom? Uh, yeah, we've been uh, been busy. Yes, indeed. Okay. And then for you, uh, Alessandro? Yes, lots of work going on. Perfect. Now, let's start by discussing current uh, market prices. We've seen prices continue in a range of 24.26 since we last spoke, which was in November, if I, if I remember rightly, Tom. I think so. Yeah. So what, what are the main drivers at the moment? What, what, can, you, can you talk us through those, please? Yeah, it's, um, it's a little mixed at the moment. There is uh, an overriding bearish fundamental outlook, I guess. Um, we have uh, gas prices hit new lows on almost a daily basis across Europe. Um, The clean dark spreads are at the lower end of the second half of 2019's range. We have the return of the UK auctions at some point. Um, We don't know exactly when yet, but um, at some point they will be coming, perhaps towards the end of Q1. Mm. Uh, And we've had a mild winter so far. Apart from a few days here and there, winter has been quite mild. On the other side of that, we are coming into compliance buying season. So um, there are a number of companies across Europe who buy their carbon once they have their verification reports in hand um, and they buy it once a year. And obviously the deadline at the end of April means that those guys are now um, now starting to filter through. For those listeners who are unaware of what the clean dark spread is, that's the, the profit from generating coal at coal-fired plants. Uh, Vitelli, would you concur then that, that the um, situation's pretty bearish? Fundamentally, it's... That, that's the only conclusion you can really reach. You look at the supply situation, you look at the likelihood of the UK volumes coming to market, you look at the continuing uncertainty over the German coal phase-out and what that means in terms of cancellation of EUAs. We have no real definite idea yet. Uh, you look at the mild weather, you look at the extremely high levels of Nordic uh, power reserves and the hydro uh, system. All of that points to you know a long market, mm. and um, <clears throat> until we get a clear steer on what Germany is going to do, until we get a, uh, a, a sense of how gas is going to evolve over the coming eighteen months, I think we're in this in this uh, what you call it contrary market. I think there are a number of uh, factors here which we will return to, but would you then agree, Tom, that the market sentiment is fairly? bearish but prices seem to be bearing up around you know in this 24 26 range yeah i agree um i think i would say market sentiment is almost a little mixed um mm-hmm. it, it seems uh, seems amazing to say that given that we've just listed off a whole load of bearish <laughs> fundamental mm-hmm. factors but i think with the carbon market the short term outlook is 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 bearish but the the mid to longer term outlook is 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 a lot more bullish um, mm. and i think that creates almost like a conflicting pool. And I think it also raises the question mark around investors and the way they are interacting with this market. So mm-hmm. we saw a lot of investor interest in 2018 when prices um, prices moved materially higher. Mm. And then 2019 was probably the liquidation of much of that, that interest. Um, so the question mark is what is waiting in the wings investor-wise and, and where and when do they come back in? So the, I think... 
Yes, there is there is the chance that the EUA price falls through the first half of this year, but the longer term outlook is certainly one of higher prices. And what would spur the return of these investors in, in your view? Very difficult to say, really, because they play in the shadows, I guess, is, uh, is fair to say. So not that much is known about them in terms of the way that they interact with the market. The influence through 2018 was obviously very pronounced. Um, the price trebled across across the year. And whilst I'm not necessarily saying that will happen again, I do think that there is a lot of interest waiting in the wings to, to, to get back into the carbon market. Now, I think if they're looking at the, the outlook, um, there's the chance that we get lower prices, but that may well find they, they may well be sitting at at those levels waiting to buy so we could find that there is uh, there is good support for carbon at lower levels not just from compliance buyers but also from investors looking to get back into this market sure so you mentioned the uk auctions when can we expect clarity about uh, you know 2019 2020 volumes uh, the age-old brexit question i guess exactly um, yeah it's, it's getting uh, a bit boring when, now. when can we get clarity yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um the uk government will have to discuss the auction calendar with the european commission as far as we're aware, that cannot take place until all of the procedural, hopefully, formalities are out the way. But obviously, we're still waiting for that. So once the once the withdrawal bill is ratified into UK law and EU law, then obviously you, you the, the the talks can progress. Exactly how quick um, the UK auctions will return once that happens, it's very difficult to say. Mm. Um, our suspicion is it'll probably be nearer the end of Q1. Okay. Um, it could be earlier, but obviously the, the the calendar has to be agreed, then the market has to be given notice, and then the auction starts. So, and we're fast moving through January as we uh, as we speak. Absolutely. Uh, is this a view you share, Alessandro? The UK auctions are the, the short term driver of, of supply that everyone is waiting to hear about. It may well be that in the absence of anything concrete in terms of decision on dates and volumes, the market's holding fire. And that's why we're stuck in this 24-26 range. Mm-hmm. When that information comes out, and it looks more and more likely that the, the volumes will be spread over the course of the rest of the year, that's actually a supportive signal because it doesn't concentrate any volume in any short period of time. That may be a, a relief signal, uh, a catalyst moment in the market where people say, okay, we're not going to be flooded with EUAs. It's going to be a drip feed across the rest of the year. Let's think about maybe starting to you know, take, take positions. It's a real matter of waiting for, for the actual truth, I, I, the, the decision. I think it's, a, it's an interesting sign because people have traditionally in the carbon market jumped all over indications of something happening and sold or bought the rumor or the, the, the early news, and then when the fact arrives, uh, they've done the opposite. I think people are waiting because we just don't know exactly what the timetable is going to be. And when we actually know the timetable, then we can, we'll see a reaction. Absolutely. Um, so the market will be eagerly awaiting clarity on that, as it has been waiting for, for quite some time. But how do you both see the market playing out for maybe you know beyond Q1, Q2, and and the rest of uh, you know rest of the year? Um, Alessandro, I know that you conducted a recent Twitter poll. Can you can you say anything about this? Uh, any surprises there? The poll that I carried out was sort of just general and democratic and open. I didn't have any reservations on who could participate. So I had a lot of traders get involved, all obviously on on a confidential basis, and they are noticeably more, I think, bearish than the analysts were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they, you know, a lot of these guys are looking at gas with one eye, looking at power with the other eye, and then looking at carbon afterwards, and they're saying, well, I don't see any supportive signals from the fundamentals. 
And I think that's, a, that's something we're going to see throughout the year. Gas isn't going anywhere. You know, people are talking about the supply even increasing this year from the U.S. And if that happens, then there's no reason really for gas to go up unless we have something strange happening to the east. As a consequence, there's no supportive signal from, for carbon from the power complex. That is what these guys, are, I think, are reacting to. The analysts are looking more in terms of you know, pure supply demand, the operation of the MSR, the German cancellation, and various inputs on a more sort of political-slash-regulatory basis. And I think somewhere between the two, the truth lies. You said they were largely bearish, the traders. Can you give us a some indication of, of the, the spread? Sure. I mean, I had, I had a range that went from at, at the high end 65 euros uh, as the, the closing price on December the 14th, which is the expiry of the contract, right the way down to 1750. Okay. So you, ha- you have quite a wide variety. The average of that was 2880, mm. um, which is noticeably lower, I think, than some of the analyst polls that we've seen uh, and heard about, which are looking at prices more like, you know, sort of 28, 29, and in some cases, a range as high as, uh, you know, 30. So what's your view here, Tom? I think uh, we're going to see some some bearish pressure in the first half of this year, certainly. But I think as the year progresses, there will be potential for upside. Um, I, I guess the question mark is from what level that upside starts. So if we've fallen all the way to, to 17 and get 10 euros of upside, we're still only back to 27 by the end of the year. So I think a lot will will depend on just how low gas prices go and how much of that fuel switching is, is priced in. But it, it certainly looks like the first half of the year where we're going to see a lot of pressure on prices. Mm. Um, but then, as I say, I, I think 2021, 2022, the draw of higher prices is likely to see interest in this market. Um, whether that's when the investor's looking to get in the second half of this year, perhaps very difficult to know. But um, I certainly think by the end of this year, we will be would probably be looking higher rather than lower. Are there any other fundamental factors to, to keep an eye on? We mentioned gas, we've mentioned, you know, Brexit. I think we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the German coal exit potentially, but I'm thinking also uh, around the, you know, the, the Green Deal. Once details of the European Commission's Green Deal emerged, how do you think this will play out in, in, in the carbon market? Will it be very volatile? Will it, you know, will it react to certain tweets or noises coming from politicians? Or will, it, you know, will people wait and see what, when, until the details emerge? What, what do you see happening here, Tom? I think probably because of the timelines, it won't be quite so sensitive. So I don't think, um, I don't think necessarily tweets are going to be um, moving the market. But it, the Green Deal is huge. It's a it's a big development. Um, the 2030 target in particular, so increasing that from 40% to 50 to 55%, has massive potential implications for the EU ETS. Obviously, we don't have any um, we don't have any concrete proposals yet with which to work with. But it looks like the linear reduction factor, so the the speed at which the cap falls, will have to increase substantially to meet those targets in the in the EU ETS. These are details that you know will emerge in the coming months, potentially in the run up to twenty one twenty two. So, Alessandro, you're going to say yeah. And in in terms of the impact of this screen deal, you have to go back and look at how the MSR proposals evolved over time and when the market reacted to them as well. The MSR was known about for a good 18 months to two years before it actually was approved in the EU at the very end of 2017. Mm. And it was only really in that last quarter of 2017, when the ink was about to be placed on the paper, that prices actually started moving. 
So we have a long way to go mm. before the Green New Deal, in all its various forms, in all the various areas where it's going to impact us, will be elaborated, discussed, debated, approved, amended, and then finally taken to the European Council. So I'm not looking for this for another 18 months minimum, uh, maybe even two years minimum, before we start seeing the final form that it's going to take, and then all the knock-on impacts in terms of reform of the EU ETS. So I think you can forget about that for 2020, for sure. In 2021, you start keeping an ear on what's going on in Brussels, and then maybe towards the end of 2021, you start thinking, okay, this is looking a bit more solid, now we can start planning. So the similarity, as you say, would more likely be with the market stability reserve uh, rather than the backloading issues. Yeah, It's the same process, the same political process of a proposal, a debate, uh, parliament, committees, amendments, etc., etc. And Tom, yes. So I, view, I yeah. think um, I, whilst I agree with that, I think the difference is that the MSR, there was always a lot of doubt as to whether it would ever get through. Whereas the Green Deal, by the fact that every member state bar one has signed up to it already, obviously the the proposals have got to actually be fleshed out now. But the fact that there's buy-in from everyone bar one member state um, suggests that this is happening one way or the other. Um, Whereas the MSR, until the the signature was on the dotted line, was, um, was very much in the balance, I would say. So I think you maybe get more of a, as we start to get the details through, we maybe get more of a draw to that. And I think the writing is on the wall with carbon prices across Europe, not just for those in the EU ETS. Absolutely. Also, in recent weeks, we've seen a lot of news and, and noise and maybe some confusion coming out of, of Germany. Now, they've announced closures. They've also announced uh, that a new ultra-modern coal plant will come online. Uh, how they compensate for that will be interesting. But what are the implications for, for the carbon market here, Tom? Have you looked at this in any detail? I think, you know, the details around sort of cancellation of carbon allowances there's not they're not really there yet but uh, what's your view yeah so we're still i mean we're still awaiting the the final um agreement which i believe is the 29th of january i think we we um we get that as we understand it the cancellation will be um will be sizable i think the key issue in terms of cancellation is the timing of that cancellation so if you have coal plants shutting and then the cancellation isn't till the following year, the net effect may be zero in terms of the EUA overspill. But obviously you have one year that's long and then the next year the cancellation takes place. So that will potentially drive volatility in the market. But obviously we we need to see the final plans before you can, you can really get a good grip on how this will all play out. Alessandro, what's your view? I still think there's a few details that we need to understand. I mean, there's still confusion, as far as I'm concerned, over the language regarding how many years' worth of allowances are going to be cancelled. There is mention of the equivalent of five years' average emissions being cancelled. And for a plant that that, that stops in 2022, if that means that the next five years' worth of that demand is cancelled, they come back in 2027. Does does the supply go back up in 2027 or 2028 mm. or not? Are these EUAs cancelled every year in perpetuity until there is a recalculation of the overall cap? It's not entirely clear to me what this represents in terms of a permanent removal of EUAs. So I'm still I'm still a bit sceptical. The details have come out. They've contradicted themselves. They've been added to, subtracted from. Mm. I'm not yet ready to to take a view on this. Mm. And I think, you know, maybe it's unlikely that all the details will be clear uh, on the 29th as well. I think, you know, this is is going to be something that's going to keep developing and, 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 uh, you know, the ball will keep rolling. I agree with Alessandro. I think um, there is still a lot of uncertainty. 
we simply don't know the details yet and therefore it's very difficult and there there has been um, a certain amount of flip-flopping I guess um, between the things that have leaked and it makes it then very difficult for the market to to know what may happen and I guess that makes people nervous in terms of their interaction with the market mm. um, you don't want this to this news to break and um, it be completely different from from what you're expecting and I think the political situation again if I'm not completely wrong could change in Germany as well and you you could get a lot of grassroots pressure you know calling for an earlier closure which would then change the picture fundamentally yet again on the 1st of April, we'll get some figures concerning 2019 emissions. Tom, what do you expect to see here? Will we get a, a large decrease? Will it be flat? We think uh, power emissions will be down. Um, industrial emissions, more or less flat, probably slightly lower, but more or less flat. But certainly the power sector, um, there was uh, fuel switching taking place through 2019 and um, without doubt power emissions will be down I think. How about how about you Alessandro? Yes I mean the, the, the numbers from Germany I've, I've seen figures thrown around up, up to 15% reduction in emissions year on year from the from the power sector uh, if that's replicated across most of Europe or a lot of Europe then that's quite substantial. Um, industrial emissions there's been no warning flags thrown up about uh, industrial production sinking rapidly. So if there's a small decrease, then that's probably within the expectations. I don't think anyone's expecting an increase in emissions from last year. So that's off the table. Mm. It's just exactly how, how, how much they fall. And will it be the biggest decrease ever? You know, we've got a, a big chunk of that being contributed by the, the power sector. So that's, I think, the scale of the, of, of the decrease that we're looking at. 15%. Well, I've heard some numbers that, that, that show some big, big decreases, yes. Mm. Over okay. the course of last year, with especially the second half of the year having seen wholesale switching, there's some big numbers there. I've also under, understood there's still gas p capacity in Germany that remains to be switched on. So if gas price keeps going, if power price you know, holds reasonably stable, then there is an incentive to move the remaining gas capacity onto the market and, mm. and, and take coal out. So there's more switching to be done, and that could even drive another decrease in 2020. We'll just have to wait and see how it turns out. But yeah, I've seen some big numbers. Tom, when, when we last spoke, you mentioned that you know, some companies may not fully realize the cost of becoming carbon compliant, i.e. meeting their obligations um, under the EU ETS. Has this changed since we last spoke? No, I don't think so. I think the EU ETS is one one part of carbon costs that companies now face, and the Green Deal will only will only increase that. So I think there is, uh, whilst a lot of companies um, don't necessarily understand their EU ETS exposure fully, it's also a total carbon cost that that I think people are um, wildly underestimating. So as I say, the, the the Green Deal is huge. It will drive carbon costs across Europe for every business higher, mm. um, not just those in the EU ETS. We've we've seen. Um, since the, the COP25 failure, I guess you could say, with Article 6, we've really seen businesses picking up the, the kind of mantle on that. We had Microsoft the other day with a 2030 carbon negative target, I think it was. Um, and there's been, a, there's been a whole load more. And I think the risk companies face is not only higher carbon prices, but also being left behind in their respective markets. If competitors are looking at carbon neutrality, renewable electricity, the trends are changing, investor and consumer. And I, I think there is, a, there is a big risk to all companies across Europe if they're not proactive in, in tackling this carbon cost that they are, they're going to face. 
We talked briefly at the beginning about gas prices being one of the, the drivers here. And we've also mentioned that, you know, they look set to continue downwards, especially now that the deal between the between Russia and, and the Ukraine. How will this impact carbon, Tom? I mean, will this lower demand for EUAs and then potentially also lower prices? Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, Alessandro just touched on that in terms of um, the amount of fuel switching that took place in 2019. Um, and there is still t- some to come. So we have high supply, relatively low demand, especially with the winter having been so mild so far. We look set to head out of winter with with record high levels of storage across Europe. I guess the big question mark is potentially the summer. Where does it all go? Mm. Um, If storage is full, this gas has to find a home somewhere. Um, And that points to, to prices falling even further, perhaps a lot further. You're then in fuel switched territory. Um, everything utilised that, that can be utilised um, from the gas market because there is a limit to to what. I mean, you can't switch everywhere, and uh, you know all all gas plants. I mean, you mentioned the gas plants earlier, Alessandro. I mean, do you expect to see every gas plant in Europe fully utilised? Should prices fall that low? Well, it's possible. I mean, <clears throat> it's one of those statistical calculations or, or, or um, I don't know what you'd call it, you have to go out there and investigate and find out exactly how much plant is running. And, you know, I had some, I've heard people say that I think in Germany, there's about three gigawatts of gas fired capacity that's left to come online. So there's still some potential switching to be done. The question is, what happens when you get to the maximum practical switching? Uh, you still have an armada of LNG ships coming from, you know, east from the US. They're already flaring huge amounts of gas in, in, in the basins, um, so, and they're still exporting. Where, where do we rescue that, so that, that flared gas from? Because that's bad news. You then have to think about, you know, Asia, alternate markets. Where is that gas going to go? Uh, you know, is Asia able to take it? And if not, are they going to start shutting in production? Because some of the numbers, uh, the, you know, the production costs uh, and margins for U.S. Uh, gas producers now are, are critical. And some are talking about shutting in production. And some, some are suffering financially as a result of all of that. There could be, in, some, in one sense, a quite rapid turnaround, because if Henry Hub gas just keeps going down, it's below $2, I think, right now, it, it, it risks going further down, there could just be a wholesale switch-off of production in the States. And once that happens, the turnaround in the European market will be quite rapid, I would imagine. Uh, traders will, will not want to be caught on the wrong foot if suddenly there's no more U.S. LNG being, uh, being, being sent out. So I think... That's one thing we keep a really close eye on. And I think uh, that's maybe another topic for, for a separate podcast as well, uh, Alessandro. Thank you for that. It's a pleasure to have you both on the pod. And I hope we can, we can discuss these issues again or revisit them uh, later in the year. So thank you very much, Tom, for joining the Montel Weekly Podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Alessandro. It's a pleasure. Remember to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn, and subscribe to the Montel Weekly Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you and goodbye.